Not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. Not my kids. Nope. Um, if you're here this morning, uh, we are in part two of our Not My Kids, Not Today, Satan uh, section of the series. We want to just take a moment and uh, talk to you today a little bit about dreaming with your kids, um, specifically helping equip you uh, with tools or ideas or, if nothing else, biblical inspiration of, why, of the why behind we lead our kids spiritually. Um, so if you turn to Acts 16, um, we're going to actually spend all of our time there, actually. Two crazy guys, Paul and Silas. And this story is actually, I'm, the more I've read it this week, the more I've, I've ranked it even higher on one, <laughs> one of my favorite Bible stories now. This is an incredible, incredible story. But as you're turning there, I, I feel compelled because of worship and um, just the mood of the room. Let's just spend some time, uh, before we get into that, let's just spend some time praying. If you just bow your head, close your eyes. I, I know sometimes in the formality of prayer or when somebody's praying, it's easy to just bow your head and thinking about lunch or your kids or something happening, but quite literally, this is a house of prayer, so let's, let's utilize that. Um, so I would just invite you in this moment, um, as you pray, prayer is a conversation between you and a holy God, and because of what Jesus did, you can be holy in God's eyes, because of your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, and he rose from the dead to give you life and hope and power. And to be filled and indwelled by the Holy Spirit. So just go with boldness before the throne of God right now. What is it that you, you need? What is it you want to tell God? What is it you want to communicate? What, what were you feeling or what were you, what were you pondering while you were worshiping? Just spend a few moments uh, with him. I wrote this prayer of mine a couple of weeks ago. I didn't necessarily plan on sharing it, but I'm going to read my prayer. Um, <laughs> not my kids, Satan, not today. I, we, will not be persuaded. We will not be swayed. We cannot be defeated. Good guys win. Bad guys lose. Not today, Satan. Not today. You see, Corey, if you just keep your eyes on him, look at him and not myself. Don't look at what I think I need. 
Don't look at what I think I need. Eyes on him, Corey. The waves and the wind still know his name. He commands the world to spin. No one has a right to hold you down or keep you stuck. Jesus has declared you free. The enemy is no match for the Father. Not today, Satan. Not tomorrow. Not any day. And by the way, get comfortable because my boss is coming soon to finish what he started. The enemy is no match for Jesus. When I am his and he is mine, at the mention of your name, Jesus, the devil got to go. I will call on you. Jesus, help us this morning to call on you. That the people in this room, no matter where they're at or what they've done or what they've been through this week or what they're facing with their kids or their family, Whatever situation or circumstance, God, help them this moment to call on you. They call in faith on the name above every name, the name of Jesus. The name that where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And this name will be praised forever and ever. May this room, in their heart, with their lips, in their mind, ultimately in their heart, may they call on the name of Jesus right now. Amen. Amen. All right, so Acts 16. These two crazy guys, uh, they uh, were by the name of Paul and Silas. These were uh, men on a mission, uh, actually the first missionary journey. Uh, they, were <laughs> they were in a place where they were boldly proclaiming the gospel, the good news. The fact that, hey, hey, top secret, but not so much a secret anymore. We're set free And now God has set us apart to spread this great news to the rest of the world. And as they spread this news, it came with power. It came with supernatural works and wonders and acts and events. Supernatural things were happening all over the place. And God used those supernatural things through these B-team, Holy Spirit-filled disciples, followers, and apostles. And here we are. Um right in the middle of Acts, (laughs) and I I don't have a lot of time to walk through how they got here, but Paul and Silas uh, did some pretty miraculous things for the gospel, to let people know that the good news has come, that they can be forgiven, and that they can be set free, specifically uh, a young woman that was, um, that Paul and Silas had cast out a demon this, this wasn't so acceptable. This, was, this caused a little bit of a stir, a little bit of a ruckus. Um, and so they were put in prison. They were put in prison. So prison is kind of the context of the story. Now, you may think, it's all over. <laughs> they got put in jail. That's actually where it just begins. In fact, the the Bible that you may hold in your hand or have downloaded on your app, um, on your phone, uh, the best letters in the New Testament were written from a jail cell. Cold, dark. Uh, Specifically for these guys, it wasn't just this cushy place. Um, In fact, let's just dive right into the story. Um, It says about midnight, 
Paul and Silas um, were praying and singing hymns to God. That doesn't sound like a prison experience, right? Like in the middle of the night, they're singing hymns, they're praising God, there's joy filling their cell. Let's back up a step. How did they get there? What did this look like? Look at verse 16 of chapter 16 of Acts. It says, as they were going to a place of prayer, they were met by a slave girl. And on and on and on. I kind of already covered that part. Let's skip down to verse 19. Um, Excuse me, verse 20. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept and practice. And the crowd, imagine this in your mind. Imagine the movie scrolling of what this might have looked like for Paul and Silas, these young preachers. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore their garments off them and gave orders for them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in prison, ordering the jailer to be kept to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet, their feet with stocks. So they weren't just put in prison. They were beaten with rods, badly, bleeding, hurting, and put in stocks where they literally couldn't move their hands or their feet. They're in a place of confinement, of punishment. But ultimately, they rejoiced in the situation because they were together. There's, there's community in that, right? And, and this isn't, today is not a message about, hey, see the good when all the bad is happening. That's not where we're headed. But I do want you to see that. I do want you to see how this story goes, that they rose above a circumstance, that they rose above a situation, and they saw something even bigger than just seeing the good that came out of it. Follow me. So it says that they were praising God and singing hymns to him. And when the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly, suddenly, verse 26, there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. I find it interesting that in the story it outlines that they weren't just thrown in prison, but it points out the jailer. Now the jailer is the center of the story today because I want you to see what happened not just to him but be, or not just to him but who did what to get him to the spot for something to happen to him. That makes sense? It wasn't just that it was happening to him. It's what got him to the spot and who was the actors in that story that got him into that spot. Who was on mission that brought the jailer from here to there? And in this story, you know, it's no spoiler, it was Paul and Silas. Now, (laughs) today we're talking about not my kids. Um, We're in this eight-week series, if you're new to Conduit, we're in this eight-week series where we're saying not today, Satan. And every week there's a different uh, relationship, there's a different 
aspect of our lives that we're diving into and we're saying, okay, we're staking a claim in the name of Jesus. Every perimeter. And we're saying, you know what? I'm set free. I'm forgiven. Jesus has forgiven me and he's given me a, a life that he has got a plan for. I'm on mission. Like there's this opportunity for us to create this space, right? And in this second week of Not My Kids, I wanted to talk a little bit about their freedom that they do have. The privilege that your kids do have. The opportunities that your kids do have, no matter what age they're at. And as Pastor Cameron last week walked us through um, not my kids in the idea of prayer and intercessory prayer specifically for them and standing in the gap for them. Um, this whole idea is it's not <laughs> like our kids weren't, aren't just saved from the enemy just to be saved. All of us are saved from something to something. And so what does that to something look like? Uh, that's what I want to talk about today. What does that to something look like? What does that freedom look like? Yes, so what? Your kids had food? Your kid had a roof over their head? Your kid uh, had a relationship with, with God? Um, so your kid um, went to the, a, a school and got a great education? So your kid, this, this, we can name all of these things that this amazing uh, United States of America offers that maybe even Jamestown uh, offers that maybe even your kids had. Maybe you're here today and your kids are grown or maybe you're at a spot today where um, you haven't had children yet or maybe you're at a spot where you're, you're helping steer your grandchildren. Um, we can all have this perspective where we spend so much time just setting them free, just providing for them that we miss the point of what are, what are all these things for? What is that freedom for? So go further into the story. Paul cried out loud. So here we are. The earthquake happened. The prison doors flung open. The stocks that were on their feet broke open. They're free to go. They're free to go. But what happens? What happens? They don't go anywhere. The jailer somehow, some way, sl sleeps through the earthquake. I want more details on that, by the way. Because, like, if the earthquake was so powerful that it shook the doors of the prison off, and it shook their stocks that were holding their feet together, shook that off, if that all happened and the jailer is, is literally sleeping, like, maybe he should lose his job. Heads should roll for that, perhaps. Or, or maybe perhaps a brick fell off and hit him in the head. And nonetheless, the jailer was fast asleep. He didn't know what was happening. And when he awoke, he looks up. The jailer looks up and he sees that the prison doors are off. And he doesn't hear a thing. And the first thing he thinks about is his own safety, his own life. Like, he's like, I'm dead. These guys, like, I had, I, I had one job, one job. And, like, I didn't have to do anything. I just have to sit there with my feet on a desk and hold the keys. Like, I didn't have to do anything. And all these prisoners are now gone. I can imagine Paul and Silas sitting there. Earthquake happens. They're bleeding. I mean, they're, they're leaning against the wall, but they're hesitant to lean because they've been beaten so badly. I can imagine when that earthquake happened. 
and then they don't go anywhere. The prison bars, or the, the doors fly off. Stock's gone. Like, they don't go anywhere. I can imagine them sitting there. <laughs> actually, I can't. I, I'm trying really hard. But this is, this is actually what the word says. So we got to go. That's what happened. They're still sitting there. And all of a sudden, they hear down the hall, they hear, they hear the jailer. Are you with me this morning? They hear the jailer, like, rustling. To get, like, he gets up. He gets the bricks off his head. That apparently, we're giving him the benefit of the doubt. That's what knocked him out, and that's why he's asleep. So he stands up, and you hear him, like Paul and Silas, are hearing him down the hall, kind of freaking out, saying uh, probably swear words in his language, maybe, perhaps, um, freaking out at the moment, looking at, like, okay. And all of a sudden, he just assumes that everybody's gone, and he's dead. And he begins to take out his sword. Like, I don't know what that sounded like. Like, I'm imagining, like, cartoon, like a sing. Or like a Like, I don't know what, what swords sound like when they're coming out. But nonetheless, Paul and Silas heard it. Because they're like, oh, no, this is not good. Hey, 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 hey. Paul, Paul gets up. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it actually feels really good to stand up and not have those things on me. And he leans out of his wide open cell. And he says, don't kill yourself. Because he was going, the jailer was going to fall on his sword to take his own life. Because he knew that he was, his life was about to be taken because he had one job. Paul yells out, don't harm yourself. We're all here. This story is crazy. Listen. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, Paul, Silas, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have what you have? What do I got to do to be filled with so much joy and trust someone, trust your God so much that I could have that too? What do I got to do to be saved? Paul and Silas said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You in your household. And you say, what's his household got to do with this? I mean, clearly he hasn't been home. He's been, in, he's been at the jail doing his one job. Providing, putting some potatoes on, on the dinner table. He's doing his work, right? What's this guy do with his house? You're about to see. You're about to see. It has everything to do with his house. And it says that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he baptized... <laughs> How did this go from like, has no one been talking about the earthquake? For real, like, 
You know, it, you know it's a move of God. When what is happening in the soul of a man is a bigger deal than the fact that the entire earth just shook. In a supernatural way. You know that God is on the brink of revival when some dude is like, I could have freedom. I'm going to withhold on that because I, my man down the hall here is about to lose his head if I go anywhere. And that overflowed from them to the jailer. And then immediately it overflowed from him to his home. The story's not done. Come on. Then he brought them to his house. So, okay, we're like hours earlier. Hours earlier, the same jailer who's literally been ordered to beat Paul and Silas with rod. Just beat them. That's a form of punishment. It's normal. It's what they're doing. They're torturing them. They're punishing them for what they had done. Put them in jail. And now this earthquake happens. And they got all kinds of stuff. I mean, they got doors to fix. They got all these things happening. And now this amazing thing, like how did this guy get off of work? Like how is he now allowed to bring these prisoners to his home? This is the craziest story. But he brings them to his home. And that same hour, washed the wounds and was baptized, he and his family. Notice that they spoke the word of the Lord to their family. This wasn't some systematic, brand new way to get saved. All of a sudden, because your faith and your decision to follow Jesus, all of a sudden, everybody that lives in your house now gets to go to heaven. It's not, this isn't systematic theology. It walks them through that he spoke the word of the Lord not just the good news of the gospel to be saved, but the testimony of their faith. And when those two things collide, everything changes in your home. There's men and women in this room right now that I know you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's men and women in this room right now that I know you have a testimony of the goodness and the grace of God. But when those two collide, it changes everything. It changes your home, it changes your street, it changes your church, it changes your city. It just takes some time, but it does. It does. It works every time. It's effective every time. Then he brought them into the house and he set food before them. So now this jailer has got Paul and Silas like still like cleaning up their wounds. There's been a baptism. It's still the middle of the night, and now he's feeding them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Imagine the kids in this house. Like, come on, kids. I brought home a couple prisoners. I'm just going to eat some food. Clean these guys up. It's a little bit of baptism. It's, it's all good, guys. Like, what could go wrong? Everything's fine. Everything's fine, guys. Just have a seat, you know. Can you imagine the atmosphere of what the revival that's happening in this home because of what had happened? And how that had flowed down. But when it was day and the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. So even the magistrate, even the, the law, even the, the, the guys in charge of the whole prison, in charge of the whole justice operation, they're not even talking about the earthquake. They're not even talking about their broken cells. They're talking about letting these guys go. And if we won't go any further into the story. But further on in the story, <laughs> 
they came and apologized to Paul and Silas. The police came to Paul and Silas. Guys, guys, I'm so sorry about what had happened. Please forgive us. You can go your way now. That's how the story ends. Now, not my kids. It's like, all right, what does this have to do with being a parent and not my kids? So imagine you're Paul and Silas. You've been arrested. You've been beaten. They're going to kill you, probably. You're going to feel that way. Earth, God sends an earthquake. God breaks the shackles from their feet. They're free to go. But I love that they chose to stay. Listen, this is the point. They chose to take the very thing that can set them free, the very thing that they could use for their own benefit, and they stepped aside to let it benefit someone else. They chose their freedom to overflow not just to them but through them, so now it can set somebody else free. That is what it looks like to parent. That is what it looks like to lead our kids spiritually. That is what it looks like to set our kids and to dream with them into the future of following Jesus. That's it. That our freedom isn't about just ourselves. It's about them. It's putting them in a place where they can be free. Not misusing, not misappropriating every blessing that God has given me, that it's just for me, but it's for them. When Jesus was um, when Jesus was in the desert, he was tempted for 40 days. And Satan stood in front of him, and one of the many things he tempted Jesus with was Jesus had not eaten for 40 days. He told Jesus that he had the power to turn, that Jesus had the power to turn those stones into a pile of bread. Granted, like, Jesus could have done that. I mean, or tacos, or whatever food he wanted it to be. Right? But he didn't. But he didn't. Because he was already full. In fact, his response was, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, Jesus, in that moment, didn't take his own freedom, his own power, and say, you know what, this is about, this is about me. Parents, we have this amazing opportunity to lead our kids to a place that the freedom that we've given them, the blessings we've given them, is not just for their blessing. It's not just for their blessing. I think sometimes, as when you're, you were a kid, and I don't know what kind of uh, upbringing you had, but maybe, maybe your upbringing was filled with blessing, or maybe it was a really tough upbringing, but either way, when you were given the freedoms of this country, or you're given a great education, or you're given food on the table or a roof over your head, there's this temptation in that that says, you know what, it's all about me. It's all about me. This, this is my opportunity for the, 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 the cell doors to come open. And that's not it at all. That's not the point. The point is, is that we would step into that blessing 
to be a blessing, to set someone else free. My prayer for you this morning is that you would see that blessing that you have, that your kids have, and that they would pass it on, that it wouldn't be about them. It wouldn't be about them having the opportunity to be free, about them having the opportunity to be fed or taken care of or given an education, that they would see that there's somebody down the hall, there's somebody down the hall that needs freedom as well. They paused, Paul and Silas, they paused for a moment. They were patient enough to see that there's somebody else down the hall. As parents, we have to pause long enough to see that there's someone else down the hall. There's someone else that needs freedom. There's someone else that their neck might be on, their head might roll if I just take the freedoms that I have and just squander it all or just receive it all or live the American dream. But if we could pause long enough and see the freedom might come for this guy down the hall based on what I do with that blessing. Last week, Pastor Cameron walked us through this analogy of, of the enemy, the devil, Satan, coming after our kids. And our kids being here and the devil being there, so to speak. And the intercessory prayer, and he challenged each one of us to come up with an intercessory prayer for each one of our child. But the whole analogy was that you're standing in the gap for them. That you're standing in the place to protect them. To keep them secure. My question today, or my, my encouragement today is keep them safe, protected, to do what? Okay, now they're protected. That's step one. Like prayer, it's a major aspect of how we lead our kids. But now that they're protected, hear me, now that they're protected, now that they're secure, now that they have food and shelter and education, now that your kids are at that spot, now what? Are they just supposed to receive or are they supposed to pause and see the person down the hall? So I think identifying that in our kids is the, is the biggest step. Helping them see that it's not just about them. Um, I wanted to end with just uh, a simple, couple simple um, takeaway practical things that I do in my life because um, I don't know really what else to give you other than things that I'm doing to help my kids um, see the guy down the hall and to see that they are set free, not just for themselves, but set free and put on mission for others. Um, three of my five are in here right now. Um, and so as they go to school um, at uh, Lincoln Elementary and Purcell Middle School, their, my heart and our desire for them is that they're not just going there for themselves. They're not just going to get an education and have friends and do well in school and have good times. Like they're there, they're there for someone else or maybe lots of someone else's. And you know what? It may not end up like the jailer down the hall. And it may not be like their entire school ends up and shakes them on the street like, who is this Jesus you follow? Show me the way. It may not be that at all. 
But if you rewind back to the story, all of a sudden, my, the point of today is that Paul and Silas sat there. And they didn't even have a plan that it was, hey, hey, we can't go anywhere because we want this guy down the hall to be saved. No, they were so filled with the Holy Spirit. They were so filled with joy that they just got beat up. It's midnight. They're in a jail cell. Can't move. And they're singing and praising the Lord. That even when those bars flew off the prison, they were still free even when they were, the bars were on. And I think that is our prayer for our kids is that when they live their life that they would be seen as free. Um, just quickly, um, I want to encourage you as parents, uh, if you, uh, you're struggling, how many parents here struggle with quantity of time with your children? Okay, that's, it should be probably all of us, right? Unless you homeschool and then you're like, I need some time to myself. Like, you got plenty of time with your kids, that's amazing and great. Um, I just want to encourage you with, with just uh, this thing I've been thinking about. Um, Jesus was all about, obviously he's been living forever, so he's, he's, you have that. But when he was on this earth, how long was he in ministry? Three years. Three years. Three out of 33 years he was in ministry, what the, the scriptures describe as ministry. That tells me that it's, quantity is important, but quality is more important. The quality time that he spent with his disciples was most important. So I want to encourage you as parents, stop beating yourself up about the quantity. If you need to like spend more time with your kids and you know that and it's the Holy Spirit saying that, then spend more time with your kids. But if you are trying your best and you're just feeling uh, discouraged and down and, and worthless because you're not having this quantity of time, spend quality time with them. What does quality time look like? It honestly may be a very short period of time, but it's very directed. It's very intentional. Um, one of the things that we, um, be, I'm very, uh, obviously very busy here. My wife runs uh, a business, and she's very busy. And so there's this, this like, just like your home, this chaotic movement all day until about 7, 30, 8 o'clock. And then we're about done, like mentally, physically, in every way, shape, or form. And there's this moment where we've really had to do like heavy lifting and be like, okay, we've got to like give it our all at this moment because that is when our kids, they're tired too, um, but that's where they're most influ influential is right before bed. And so what we've tried to do is create these steps um, that we do with our kids. I think I shared this about a year ago. So if you've heard this, great. If not, um, I want to encourage you uh, with something like this, you can steal this idea completely, or you can um, uh, make up your own similar to it. But we do something in our home uh, called One Up X. And um, I made this bracelet, um, and it's, it says one, and it has an arrow. So it's one and an arrow. Um, there we go. Okay. Um, it's got a one, an arrow, meaning up, and an X. This is simply what this means. We go through this with each one of our kids every night when we lay down and we do Bible time and we pray with them. We ask them these three questions. The one is, what is the most, or what is the thing you're, the one thing you're most grateful for today? What is the one thing you're most grateful for today? Um, I read something that 
the, one of the hardest things to do is to teach kids gratitude. Um, and it is very hard. But I feel like this helps. This helps us. When we name our blessings, and specifically with our kids, like, give me one thing you're most grateful for today. Up means where did you see God today? Where did you see God today? So one, up, and then X is, is the one that um, I'm, has opened up a ton of, of great, vulnerable, precious moments with our children. X is, if you've seen like the talent, like America's, America's Got Talent or whatever, when the judges uh, choose something. Excuse me. When the judges see something that they don't like, they, they put an X on it, right? Um, X is... <laughs> we make that noise when we uh, do the X. Boink. Um, X is... What is the X in your day? What is something that needs confessed? And you're like, what? Like you end on that? Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing because... Um, I know we live in a culture when, like, you need to just be, oh, everybody, nobody does anything wrong. Ah, oh, man, for all have sinned and come short of God's glory. And God rejoices in the, even that aspect of the word that's all over scripture. Because why? Like, why does, he send the, why does he send that moment? Why does he create that moment where we've messed up royally? Because he sent a savior. He sent the prince of peace so that, our desire with the X is that our kids would, would go to bed and they lay their head down at night and know that they can be forgiven. And that tomorrow is a new day and we're going to try that different. Um, we have this rule in our house where, and I don't know how this is going. This is not an expert parent advice. This is just like, this is just like throwing it and seeing if it works, you know. Um, if our kids tell the truth and I'm the first to know, if they tell the truth and I'm the first to know, they can't get in trouble. Now, the, I was counseling some uh, parents in this room. I'm not going to even look the direction. But they tried this with uh, some of their children, and it backfired. And I think my name was sworn all over their house. Um, but, however, it's important for us to know and to be honest and upfront with our children. Why? So we know their dirt? No. So that they can be forgiven. And they can know that there's no secrets with God. God knows anyways. And so to lay down with your kids and to talk with your kids and walk them through in that moment of one up X is important for us to end on this note is that you can have the Prince of Peace, the peace of Christ, um, and you can have great, and com great communion and fellowship with God the Father. Um, maybe you're here in this room today and I wanted to just encourage you to take that first step as a parent. Maybe you have young children or older children and you're not sure what to do to lead your kids spiritually. So maybe, um, it, as it was for me for many years, like I didn't do much at all. Like I wanted to, my desire was huge, but like the practicality or the carrying that out wasn't there. So I just want to encourage you, um, if you have young children, we gave um, on the Child Dedication Day, we gave these Bibles, um, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's an amazing tool if you're a young parent and you're um, trying to find ways to teach your kids um, the word, Jesus Storybook Bible, you should look that up. If you have older kids, um, you know, like later elementary or middle school, 
A great tool is the Adventure Bible, um, or the Action Bible, excuse me. Um, it's just another great tool. There's lots of great resources for you to help get your kids moving in that direction. The last thing I have is this. Um, a, counts, a wise counselor told me recently that um, they felt like God was telling them this, that if you don't, <laughs> if you don't love your kids well, they won't love me. She felt like God was telling her, if you don't love your kids well, then they won't love me. Here's the idea that even takes it back to Paul and Silas. You are Jesus to your children. So you setting up the markers and staking a claim in the name of Jesus, that's you being Jesus. And I know we all would agree with the statement, like, I want to be Jesus to my kids. And I would say that's so false. You are Jesus to your kids. For good or for bad. Because if we're missing it, if we're not leading them to a place of safety and security and dreaming with them and praying for them and interceding on behalf of them, they see that. They know that. May God lead us into this place where we completely understand that we already are Jesus to them. Whatever we're portraying is their clear picture of who Jesus is. Good or bad. Let's lead our kids into this place as Paul and Silas had every opportunity to live their life the way they wanted it. But they paused and they saw that it wasn't about them. It was about someone else. Would you pray with me? Just in this moment of practicality, what will be your action step? What will be the very thing that you walk away with? Maybe your kids are grown. Um, maybe this is about, for you today, maybe this is about a grandkid. Maybe this is about something completely not related to kids at all, but the Lord spoke to you. What is your action step? Maybe a little less emotion today, and maybe a little more action step focused. And just as we come into this place of, okay, Lord, this is where I'm at. I'm asking your help to take me to the next step. That I can't just come on Sunday morning and say, not today, Satan, and not follow through with any practical steps. What is it for you today? What does it look like for you to stake a claim in the name of Jesus for your child? Is it an encouraging word? Is it a tool? Is it an action step? Is it a new habit you form to teach them the ways of God? Is this something to, to tweak or change or recognize in yourself and ask the Lord's help? This morning, um, as we take communion in just a moment, Jesus' blood and his body was given so that we could be free.
He shook it all up. Shook the ground and the jail doors flew off so that we could be free. And this morning as we recognize that that happened through God's son Jesus and his body and his blood, we are free indeed. We're free to go. We're free to live. We're free to do in his grace justifiably anything that we want. But in his freedom, may we celebrate through his body and through his blood (laughs) what freedom is he really calling you to in regards to others. May we center our hearts and our minds this morning as we take communion. Jesus, this morning, we thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We recognize, God, that we, as parents, um, yes, we fall short, but you give us everything we need. You give us hope, and you give us everything we need to accomplish what you want done in our children, even though it may not end like that jailer. It may not feel like we're being effective. More importantly, we're being obedient. So Lord, today, even if there's people in this room that feel that they've messed up, they've missed out, they've missed opportunities, um, or maybe they're just discouraged and they're thinking that their kids are a litmus test of the job that they've done, God, would you just reveal the truth in them that that isn't the case? That that isn't the case. That their desire would be just to obey you, to do what you've asked them to do, to be fully submitted to you and that may your Holy Spirit work in their child, whether they are a child or whether they are a grown child. Would you lift this body up this morning? Would you give them courage to be the parent staking a claim in the name of Jesus?